please join me in praying. Father, please open your word to us this morning. Speak to our hearts and minds. Lord, let us be open to what you want to do in us and through us. May the reality of the kingdom of God become our everyday experience. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So it seems appropriate on this first Sunday of the year to ask if you have made any New Year's resolutions. Would you raise your hand if you've made any at all? Wow, like 10 people. We do not have a get going. You know, out of you 10, the statistics would say that eight of you will fail within the first month. So one of mine, I'm gonna fail this morning. It was a 25 minute sermon. I'll break it this morning. I'll get past that. Everybody can just keep going on. You know, I was reading on why. Why is it that so many people fail their New Year's resolutions? And there's a couple of different articles out there, but there's a lot of overlap in the reasoning. One of it, one reason was people are not specific enough. That they will say things like, I want to exercise, which is way too easy to not do. Instead of, I want to you know, do a 5K, or I want to exercise three days a week in the morning. That specificity seemed to be something that helped people keep it going, or at least it was not as hard to give up, um, harder to give up. Another one, in this one, I was personally challenged by. The reason that so many people fail their New Year's resolutions is they don't really want to do them. That the dieting or the exercise or the giving up of drinking or smoking or whatever it would be, it's something that they feel like they should do. It's something that maybe others are kind of influencing them to do, but deep down, they don't really want to. What is it that you really want from your faith? If you were looking at your walk with Jesus Christ, if you were looking at the idea of living kingdom first, above everything else, what is it that you really want deep down? And what is it that you're going through the motions? And if you stopped and you went, this is what I think I want, but my life keeps going this way, do I really want this? I wanna talk this morning about what God wants for our lives. What I might call instead of a New Year's resolution, it's God's new life resolution for his people. Open your Bible, if you have one, to Titus chapter three. Last week, Father Andy talked about the appearing of our Savior, that word epiphany. 
The day spring has come. Light has come. And, and Paul's going to continue that, but he's going to talk about what it is that God wants from his people and why. God's new life resolution. Chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. There's a lot there. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. How are you doing with that? To be obedient, to not just do good work, but to be ready to do good work. To speak evil of no one. To avoid quarreling. To be gentle. To show perfect courtesy toward all people. How's that going? How's that working in your day-to-day life? Four, and now he's going to contrast here. Right, so there's a bunch of things that he offers right there. And you could probably spend a whole lot of time just thinking about those things. But he creates a contrast here. For we ourselves were once foolish. Not doing those things is foolish. We were disobedient, led astray. We were slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy. We wanted bad things for others, and we didn't want others to have good things. We wanted those good things for ourselves. Hated by others and hating one another. Strong language. Slaves. My son's birthday was yesterday, and we took him to a bouncing place, and there's a ninja course at this bouncing place. And there's four kind of ways you can go across, and it's all these hanging apparatus things that you try to stay on so you don't fall off. And in this particular place, when you fall off, you fall into all of these plastic balls. And it is deep enough that depending on how tall the child is determines how hard it is for them to get out. To the point that there are kids, it's almost like quicksand. They sink into the balls. And as they move, the balls keep moving and they can't get anywhere. And you will see older siblings or parents have to step in and pull kids out of these balls because they cannot get out on their own. That's the image that's painted right here. That's what we were. Slaves to our passions. The malice, the envy, the hating and being hated. That was something that, that it was like being enmeshed in these balls and we were unable to get out of it. So why is we have verse one and two? Remind them to do all of these things they can't do. Because... When he appeared, this is what happened. And I'm going to 
just give you a, a, a warning, a preface. We are about to dive into some theology. Right? If you have a Bible, I want you to follow. There's a bunch of theology in the next three verses. And it is one of Paul's most succinct and yet full statements of salvation. So we're gonna spend a few minutes digging out and digging through what he says here because it's really important. It begins much like some of Paul's other things where he says, verse four, but. All right, so he starts by saying, I want you to do all of these things and then he backtracks and he goes, but you were in this pit of balls and you were one of the little tiny ones and you could not get yourself out, but, verse four, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, there's that term again from chapter two, the epiphany, when it appeared, when the light came. Now notice why. His goodness and loving kindness. Right? We talk about living kingdom first, and we give three pillars. And those pillars are the ways of living kingdom first. And the first one is this, believe the king's love. Because that is the foundation of everything we do. It comes out of love. And guess what? The foundation of what he did, his goodness and loving kindness. That is why God acted as he did. When we were in this pit of plastic balls and we kept moving and it just shifted the balls around and we weren't able to get out, the reason that he will reach that hand down is because of his love and his goodness. And here's what happened. He saved us. Now, this is an interesting way of writing in Greek. He took this and threw it to the beginning because this is the core thing that drives everything else. He saved us. And he doesn't surround that. He doesn't make it complicated. It's a very simple, it's the one driving verb in this entire long sentence. He saved us. And in this case, he is not primarily talking about hell. He's talking about what he just described, this life of slavery, this life of being trapped in these plastic balls and unable to get out. He said he saved us from that, which I don't even have to go on, just think about it. If he saved us from that, what do you think he wants for our lives? To jump back in or to have something different? Now Paul gives a little bit more here. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. You were not pulled out of that pit because, I now just keep the image going. Imagine all of us were stuck down in this pit. James, while he's in the pit, he's not quite as angry as Hillary is. And Tim is doing a little bit more good works than Alan is. But that is not the reason why God reached down there to rescue any of them. It wasn't because he might have been a little less angry. 
And it wasn't because he might have done a little bit more good. It is because of God's love and God's goodness. And we need to recognize that every single person in this room, it does not matter how good you are. You were never and never will be good enough. And it doesn't matter how many good things you've done. You still have done a lot of bad things. And God was not looking at the pit and going, you're a little better, you're a little better, okay, I'll take you, I'll take you. And you need to understand that because you won't get what he's asking for if you don't understand his grace. And all of this was his grace for us. So not our righteousness, not our works, but according to his own mercy, mercy is when we don't get what we deserve to get. Every one of us deserved something because of our actions. But in his mercy, he says, I'm not gonna give you that. Instead of punishment, I'm gonna reach my, down, my hand down there and I'm gonna save you. I'm gonna lift you out. By washing of regeneration and renewal, part of what his saving grace is, is not just that he lifted you out of the pit. Right? I'm gonna shift the image for a moment now. Right now, our backyard has got lots of dead grass. Right? Probably all of you have that. Right? It's just the nature of the season. Now, when my dog goes out onto the grass and starts going nuts and begins rolling all over the grass, guess what happens when she stands up and comes walking up to you? She is covered in grass. Now, sometimes I feel like the image we have of our salvation is this. God said to my dog, who is still covered in grass, in my grace, I'm gonna let you back into the house anyway. Come on in. Just drag all that grass with you. But that's not the image we get of how he saved us. It wasn't that he just went, you're a mess and I'm gonna leave you that way, but I saved you. It's that he went and got all of the grass off the dog. Regeneration and renewal means new life and cleansing. He not only pulled us out, but he also cleansed us. And he said, I'm giving you new life. I'm giving you a new start. I'm gonna let you approach things differently. Each time that we pray for forgiveness and then we announce the absolution, if you are believing what God has said is true, you move away from that moment clean. You shouldn't be carrying the guilt. You should be walking in new life because he has given it. And if you think to yourself, but I don't deserve that, then praise the Lord God Almighty because you don't. But you don't deserve any of this. That is the point. That is his mercy, that is his love, that is his grace. Is that he said, I'm gonna pull you out, I'm gonna clean you off, even though you don't deserve it. Whom he poured out on us richly, he's also not stingy. 
I mean, everything that he's doing, he's not going, I guess I'm gonna do this. I don't really want to. I wish you all were a little better than you actually are. He is richly pouring out his spirit. He is lovingly saving us. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, you stand in right relationship with God. If you trust in Christ, you stand in right relationship with God. There is peace between you and God. There is relationship between you and God. Because that is his grace, that is his love, that is his goodness, and that is what Christ accomplished on our behalf. Justified. That we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. My goodness, he just keeps going. Here we are. We're trapped. We're dirty. We've got grass all over us. And he says, I'm going to pull you out. I'm going to clean you off. I'm going to do it richly. It reminds me. So we watched Cars last night, which is an amazing movie. Oh, my goodness. I haven't seen it in so long. And like I was watching and going, this is so good. Like you've not seen Cars. Go see Cars. And I leaned over to Aaron and I'm like, we are watching a show about animated vehicles. And it's incredible. Like it is such a good show. But at one point, when um, McQueen is having to pull the, the thing that is, I forgot the name of the thing that he's redoing the road. And he's getting tar all over him. And he wants the fire truck to come wash him off, and at first the fire truck won't. And then at one point, the fire truck gets in front of him and just sprays him. I mean, shows, get all this water, and, and it doesn't get it all off. So he does it again, and he just keeps getting him. And Lightning McQueen is going, what are you doing? He is lavishly cleaning him off. That's what God does. Lavishly cleans us off. And then says this to us, I've also made you an heir. I have something for you for eternity. I'm gonna clean you off in this life and I'm gonna renew you and give you new life and forgive all of your sins and say you're clean and in a relationship with you and I want that relationship to go on all the way through eternity. And you're now an heir of mine. Not just an heir of a parent's or maybe a rich uncle or aunt, an heir of God. And I have that to offer you too. This is what I'm giving you. And you bring nothing to the table. In fact, you actually bring the opposite of nothing. You bring malice and sin and hate and lust and greed. Think of it like this. You don't have to raise your hand. You just have to answer this for yourself. How much do you struggle with forgiving somebody? Now, imagine, I mean, one of the things that helps us sometimes, at least it helps me, tell me if this helps you, sometimes, actually pretty much all the time, 
when we get into some relationship discord, usually both parties have some role. Now, it may be like it's 80% his fault and only 20 mine, but when I remember that I at least contribute to this, sometimes that helps me. I'm not perfect either. I can forgive. Now, it doesn't make it easy, and I don't always do it, but how hard is it for us to forgive? I want you to imagine that it is completely the other person's fault. In fact, you've never, ever done anything wrong toward them, ever. And they're not even looking for change. How much would it take for you then to reach out to them and say, I want to heal and cleanse this whole relationship and I want to be in a relationship with you and I want you to be an heir of mine and I want to keep forgiving your sins throughout the rest of your life. Do you get his grace? How amazing and beautiful and wonderful it is what we are offered in Christ. Because if we don't get that, the rest of this will not mean the right thing. About three years ago, a little girl named Samantha was born. Within the first week, they determined that she was deaf. The family had just moved into a new neighborhood on the Charles River, on a peninsula, about 100 homes in this neighborhood. Very close neighbors. Close to the point that they had a directory for the neighborhood that they would print and update every year and turn into everybody. Not even done by an HOA, done by the people. Well, across the street from little Samantha was a woman named Jill McLean, and when she found out that the little girl was deaf, she was upset because she knew she would not be able to communicate well with her. So, Jill went and learned sign language to communicate with this little girl. And she learned things that were very specific to this little girl. She talked to the instructor and said, I don't want you to just teach me anything. I want you to teach me things that would be appropriate for a little girl. And so things like, those are, those are pretty pink sneakers, are phrases. Teach me how to say dog, because she loved dogs. All of these things that were all about this little girl. And then a couple of other neighbors decided, we'd like to do the same thing, because we want to be able to communicate, and there's a barrier between us and this little girl. And it doesn't matter what it takes, because we want the relationship with this little girl who, by the way, can do nothing about her own deafness and who really at her age can't choose to force communication. But these adults, out of their love and desire, went and learned sign language to be able to have a relationship with this little girl. Jesus became one of us, that he might understand us that he might live our lives, 
that he might be the one that we can come to and say, I'm struggling. He can go, I get it. I've struggled too. I can help you and do everything necessary to have that relationship. That's what we are offered. And from that, this is what Paul says. Verse eight, the saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. What we've just said is a trustworthy thing. This is what God has done. This is who we are now in Christ. And because that is a trustworthy thing, listen to this, I want you to insist on these things. There is a responsibility that falls on the people of God when it comes to recognizing what it is that God has done for us. It is not just that God went, I rescued you, now go do whatever you'd like. Just go live your life however you want and heaven will come someday. That was never, ever his plan. You do not wash the grass off the dog just to leave the dog in the yard and let him go roll around in the grass again. The reason that you clean the dog off is to invite him into the home. The reason that we were cleansed is so that we could do the good works that God has. The reason that he saved us from our slavery, the reason that he regenerated us, the reason that he forgives us, the reason that he made us heirs is so that we would do good works. And some of those good works, he already said, be submissive to rulers and authorities, be obedient, be ready for every good work, speak evil of no one, avoid quarreling, be gentle, show perfect courtesy to all people. That was part of it. But this is looking at our lives and please look up at me. We were saved for a reason. We gather together as a church body for a reason. We raise our kids in the faith for a reason. And it is not because we don't have anything else to do. It's not because society, at least in our area, might look well on people who go to church. It's certainly not because you didn't want to sleep in. You just needed something to do on a Sunday morning. It is because God has saved you and has offered you something better. Has said, I have a different kind of life for you. I want you to make a difference in the world. I want you to make a difference in the life of your family and friends and neighborhood and workplace. I have made you into a new person. And that new person, in the power of the Holy Spirit, can live differently. I'm inviting you into something different and new and special. This gathering of believers here, we are here to do something different. The reason we started doing these service opportunities is to not make that the only thing. It's to springboard our congregation into good works. 
to saying we have something God has given us. Let's do something with it. Don't just hoard it. Because he's offering an exciting life of serving God Almighty in the freedom of forgiveness, in the freedom of knowing I have an inheritance that is eternal, that I can live in that way. And, and here is a key point. It's my last thing to say, but I want us to consider this. The nature of the good work that was done on our behalf was done completely out of grace. Just think about that. God did a good work in our life. And it wasn't a good work that was in response to something we were doing. It wasn't a good work that was done and then said, as long as you do one, two, and three, then I will do this work for you. This was an absolutely grace-filled, sacrificial work that God did on our behalf. That's the nature of some of the good work God is asking of his people. I just want you to do what I've done for you. And I've given you the strength, the ability, the cleanliness, the Holy Spirit, everything, the community to do it. We can build each other up to do these things. And you know what? That's exactly what happened in that neighborhood. It caught on. Like it was, these three people that start doing the sign language, there are now 40 people in this neighborhood. There are two classes that are offered every week that now the, a guy comes into the neighborhood to teach these people because it caught on. They went, this is amazing, being able to communicate, being able to serve this family. My goodness, one of the things that's happened in just this little bit is as I was watching at Feed My Starving Children, Frisco Fast Packs, Bonton Farms, I'm watching our people serve. It's exciting. It's exciting to see us doing something with our lives. That's why we were saved. Father Andy, when he was teaching on chapter two, this is what it says there. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Not just saving us, but training us to renounce these things. To live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age, right now, here and now. Because, listen to this, he appeared, his light shone. Can I tell you how his light shines now? Look around. We are now the light. We are now the appearing. The reason we're supposed to do the same works that he did is because we're supposed to show people him. We're now that, which is why we're supposed to live in this way, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. He's coming back. We can live a certain way as we wait for him to return, who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. He gave his life so that we could live like he lived and we could have those good works.
think about that and consider this. I read a survey that I've not seen before. A survey was done on a thousand Americans on how long you should stick with your New Year's resolutions and when it was okay to go ahead and fail. And they did it month by month for a year. And only 20% of Americans said, it is okay to fail your New Year's resolution within the first month. Ironically, 80% of people do. But you move all the way to October, 80% of people said, by October, it's okay to fail your resolution. And here's what I thought. If my resolution is something like being healthy, why is it ever okay to fail that? Like I put in my 10 months and I'm good now? I lost 10 pounds, that's awesome, now I'm gonna go gain it back. Like why did it suddenly become okay? And yet, in the Christian life, I hope you hear this rightly. Paul uses the word insist. Paul uses the word he gave himself for this. And so I'm gonna say this strongly this morning. Not in condemnation, but in exhortation. It is never okay to take God lightly. It is never okay to look at what he has done and be nonchalant and just kind of do our own thing and just go, you know what, I'm good, it's all good. No, because he gave everything for us, including the power and the vision and the future to live for him. And so church, we need to live kingdom first because he's given everything we need for that. Every day of every week of every year, not just through October or January as most of our resolutions are, together as a body. Let's pray. Father, we will never be able to thank you enough for our salvation, for your goodness and your loving kindness that you would reach down and you would rescue us from something we could not rescue ourselves from. And in doing so, you would cleanse us and renew us and give us an eternal inheritance. Lord, please, let this sink into us. Let us see what you have already done that we might truly live differently, that we might be invigorated about our Christian walk and the kingdom of God for your honor and glory and for our good and for the good of the world. In Jesus' name, amen.